I think it's better to read some of it and like kind of mess around like mess around yeah. with the order. Hopscotch it a little. A little bit of hopscotch. A little cortisar. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. So many so many so many damn books. Hello. Hi there. And welcome to So Many Damn Books. I'm Christopher. I'm Drew. And this is Drew. And Stephanie Dandler has joined us hello, in, hello. in the, the damn library today. Welcome, Stephanie. Thank you so much for Author having me. Thanks for coming. Sweet Bitter. Yes. Fellow graduate of the MFA New School program. Mm-hmm. Alum. Um, yes. And do you have anything else to add to that bio? I should have. No, that I, your, was great. Your bio is just like lives in lives in Brooklyn, which isn't even true. Well, <laughs> when I submitted that uh, to go to print, it was true. Okay. Um, but yeah, more mystery, right? More to talk about today. <laughs> I didn't give it all away in the bio. Yeah, there you go. I like that, though, where it's just like, I'm a writer. I live somewhere. I also haven't done anything, so what, <laughs> I don't know what I'm supposed to talk. Does, does it say I have an MFA in there? No, it's literally just... <laughs> Dandler is a writer who lives in Brooklyn. I do have an MFA. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I want to contribute to that. Why don't we talk about what'd you buy? Yeah? Do you want to do the cocktail first? Oh, yeah, we can do that instead. This, yeah, this, this cocktail is inspired by her novel Sweet Bitter, which um, there's this part in it where she thinks that someone is making treats like a drink, but it actually refers to Adderall. So I'm making just the, just the drink. Just the drink part. There's that's, no Adderall involved. I'm that's sorry. what he wants you to believe, everyone <laughs> that's listening to this. <laughs> um, and it's, uh, it's basically, there was, I was convinced by um, my wine purveyor down the street that he had something that was Sancerre-like. Um, so that's this white wine that I have. And then there was also something that he had that was in between Aperol and Campari that I've put in there with some orange juice and soda and an orange peel. And you should have it this summer because it's really easy sipping. Yeah. It's delicious. You should also have this summer if you're more ambitious. Yes. Like I can't get over these things. I know. Um, I made Negroni jelly slices. Um, <laughs> so it's basically just Knox gelatin and and basically a a, a, Negroni. a Negroni, like a cup of Negroni. They're and then works I, of art, though. I put, I poured them into um, orange, hollowed out or half oranges. That's what really makes it, because then you slice them up like it's after soccer practice, but with booze instead of yeah, nothing good, but booze. Yeah, good game, good game, good game. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us. And uh, why? Okay, now. want to do you want to start yeah of course i'll start um and i started it i'm allowed to have started it right of course yeah um i started on the plane um margaret the first which is this book that came out from catapult and it is a fictional like a historical novel set in the 1600s following this woman who is an artist and wife and it's totally modern and fantastic but with all these period details i'm only a few pages in i'm gonna devour it when i get to it what made you decide to pick it up um 
Julie Bunton, actually. No, that's not true. I know Julie who does Catapult, but Michelle Filgate, um, we were talking about books and her taste. She has her Instagram is read and breathe and she's always reading tons and tons of books. And so I knew her taste. I knew that we were on the same kind of wavelength and I asked her what I should read and she told me to get it. And she was so right. It's just totally up my alley. Cool. That sounds yeah. great. Yeah. I love the cover of that book. It's a Wild, gorgeous right? cover. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be fun. Cool yeah. Too. Catapult's awesome. I'm really impressed. Very exciting. Yeah. Uh, I picked up two things. One, on my own recommendation, Joe Hill's The Fireman. Oh, yeah. Uh, You're a Joe Hill I am. I love fan. Joe's work. Um, and the other, actually, Alex Chee's recommendation last week, Jan Morris's Hav. Uh, mm. I realized after I got home from recording the show that that had been on my sort of long list for like two years, according to Goodreads. Um, <laughs> so I, like, I just went out and I bought it. I'm very excited to read it. Yeah, it sounds good. Yeah. I don't know anything about either of those books. Um, the Fireman is a sort of apocalypse novel. Um, a disease has sprung up where like you you sort of get dragony looking scales and then you burst into flame. Cool. Uh, <laughs> that is cool. <laughs> yeah. And it's about... Uh, That's the way I want to go. A woman who is starting to show signs of the disease, pregnant, and she runs into this like sort of semi-mythic hero called the Fireman who saves people. Um, and then hmm. Hav is a fake, a fake travel document basically about mm. this fictional country called Hav. Um, and Jan Morris is apparently she's actually a travel writer, but so she wrote this novel and like managed to convince people that it's a real place. Oh, I love that. That's yeah, that, I, I can't love wait. that too. That'd be perfect yeah. for me. Um, yeah. How about you, Christopher? I, I okay, so. Um, I try not to be suckered in by, you know, a uh, good copy in my life. But for some reason that like it gets like completely blanked out by by book copy. And on the back of Lily and the Octopus by Stephen Rowley, they literally say the magic of this novel is in the read. So we don't want to spoil it by giving too many details. So I'm like, <laughs> OK, I'm on board. <laughs> and then uh, it says, remember the last book you told someone they had to read? Lily and the Octopus is the next one. And such also, a good line. Yeah, it's I really mean, good. So I, it comes out in June, and I saw the copy, so I had to pick it up. That's great, great copy. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really good, right? Speaking of the next book that we're recommending to yeah. everyone and anyone. Yeah. Uh, Sweet Sweetbitter. Yes. Your incredible novel. Um, we usually have the author say what the book's about. Do you oh. want to do, do the honors? Or I, we can. Yeah. No, I totally have no idea what the book is about. Hold on. <laughs> um, it is about, um, what do we call it? A young woman's coming of age story. Tess moves to New York and becomes a server in a landmark restaurant that's kind of modeled on union square cafe now rest in peace yes now closed and moving um and the arc of the novel is really kind of her sentimental education or loss of innocence Mm. but it's all set around food and wine and the development of her palate for those things and other experiences Mm. Ooh, and other experiences. And other experiences. 
Um, the novel is set like in 2006, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and I think you you mentioned it's like right pre iPhone. Yeah, totally. Uh, and and so I feel like we're def. I'm I'm personally nostalgic for that sort of period pre iPhone of of. I don't know. We pretend like we connected more before that. Um, but I'm curious if there's something about like where we're living now in New York, if there's something you'd be nostalgic for um, of now. Like of you, now? Yeah, That's like, such a great question because, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. So much of the impetus to write about 2006 besides the iPhone is I think that we're all like very nostalgic for the city that we moved to Mm -hmm. like that city kind of freezes in your brain and then everything that changes is a loss and the city changes so quickly so it's loss 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 this bar is closing this is moving I have to move apartments your landscape is constantly shifting but that first place you move into remains like New York City um and then you just bitch about everything for the rest of time. That's <laughs> yep. like the definition of being a New Yorker. So, you know, there's condos and Williamsburg is destroyed and no one can afford to live here and all the restaurants are so expensive. Um, but I think when I look back on this period, which is a period that I've taken a break from New York, um, I, I do believe that when you move away from a place, you can o- you can often see it more clearly than totally. It, than so I feel like now that you're in yeah. California now, yeah, and it's f- I'm gonna get to your actual question, but <laughs> I do I do feel like New York is for the very young, and I'm not ancient. I'm 32, but I when I left, and every time I come back, I do feel like it's for that. I was talking about drunk little children earlier, but it's more like drunk on your autonomy. And I feel like you Mm -hmm. have to have that resiliency and that buoyancy to live here um, because it does wear you down. But I think that at the same time, New York is on fire as far as there's money here. There's so much money and there's new museums opening and there's been periods of time, new restaurants, new museums. There's a lot of new Mm-hmm. And that's something to mourn, of course, but that's also an influx of energy. And I don't think that can be totally disregarded. Yeah. Yeah. I, gu- I guess there's there's two things sort of at, at odds with each other here. There's sort of like the there's the anonymity almost of Tess where, I mean, we don't even know she, her name is Tess until two thirds of the way into right. the We've we've got a lot of awesome nicknames, but not not her name. Um, but at the same time, there's also like the fact that you're very open in saying that this is an autobiographical novel, where other people sort of sometimes like try to keep that close to the vest. I started with a lot of autobiographical details, um, and I think that that was twofold. And one is it's just easier to give her my apartment, my neighborhood, my job. The second part is I felt like I had gone through a very special experience moving to New York and getting a job at Union Square Cafe as my first job. And I'd worked at other restaurants at Mm -hmm. the point that I was writing the novel, but none stood out in my mind for being based on a set of ethics, for being based on this idea of like an excellence reflex, something that Danny Meyer talks a lot about. 
um, none of them could ever be elevated to that level as um, as like a place of employment. And so it had to be there, mm -hmm. even though I fictionalized so much of the book and the plots made up. And I love the liberty that comes with fiction. That's why I didn't write a memoir. Were you in my class when they like, yelled? no, Dale Peck was like, why don't you write a memoir? I really had to, def <laughs> really had to defend myself. Um, Dale Peck. But I didn't, I didn't want to. I wanted, I wanted it to be fiction. I wanted her to be able to do things that I hadn't been able to do in my life. Mm. Um, but I definitely think that you start with those facts about yourself and then the character takes off from there. Mm. Um, and, and I think that, I think that the moment that I feel like Tess like pulls into herself as Tess is kind of the moment where she starts to talk about Britney Spears. Oh, you, you like yeah, that? Yeah. Good. <laughs> um, I, I'm a, I, I think there's like five or six episodes of this show with Britney Spears songs in it somewhere. Um, yes. <laughs> as well there should be um but you know that moment is such a great thing where she starts to defend britney and um i guess like do you have a relationship to pop music now or like was that yeah absolutely that um that moment is really special because for so long tess doesn't have a voice and we were talking about her anonymity for the first half of the book and I think that that's really important for so many reasons. We want to experience the world with her for the first time. She's a perfect kind of canvas or filter. Right. You say, um, um, you're, or in the, in, the, in the book, it says, like, she's born as she crosses. Like, and there's that, that definite, uh, the Manhattan Bridge. Like, she def it feels like that. Like, we, we don't feel her past very much at all, really. No, it's not really necessary. I mean, when people get to New York, you kind of drop your baggage. Uh -huh. If you're making the choice to come here and reinvent yourself or become yourself. But Tess, while she was blank, is undergoing also this initiation ritual, really, where they're gonna take your name and they take your clothes and you learn a new language and you come out of it a different person. And so many times when I was writing this book, because I wrote the whole thing in graduate school and I had to defend every single little minor decision I made, <laughs> mm -hmm. which is good and bad, um, what was the journey going to be? What's the transformation? And the transformation is small, but she learns how to talk back. That mm -hmm. was where I, that with mm. that Britney Spears, she is exposing something about herself and she's learning how to talk back to these people. Then she's been quiet for so long. She's been apologizing for so long. She's been trying to make herself very small in the restaurant for so long. And I love that scene. Mm -hmm. It's also, of course, like what Britney Spears has become emblematic of what the world does to young women yeah. the way the media can cannibalize the people that it raises up and i think that tess feels this kind of sympathy with her but doesn't quite understand why yet sort of pivoting a little bit the way that you write both food and sex like it's it's a cliche in the world that like food writing and sex writing are often, food and sex in general are like, we talk about them in sort of weirdly the same ways. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. Um, I was wondering both what your inspirations were right. for how you write about food and how you write about sex, but also like, were there any moments where you were like, ah, I don't, I feel weird about writing this or like, I don't feel like I have the knowledge to write this thing about oysters or I feel like I don't have right. the like. Did you have to go on like tasting research? <laughs> uh, no, I wish. I wish that I 
I could have. I was in, so I was a food professional for how long is how many years 22 to 29 math not my strong seven seven thank you christopher (laughs) seven years um and i was managing and i was helping to open restaurants and it was my entire life and career but at this point at that point using food as a way to like interact with the world and see the world was my life that was totally intrinsic and it kind of, it covered everything that I did. So writing about that was really natural. Now the oyster scene is interesting because I love this writer, MFK Fisher, Mm -hmm. um, who's a food writer, like mid 20th century. And she has this book called Consider the Oyster. And good title. So good. (laughs) She's fantastic. The Gastronomical Me is a collection of her essays that was very influential to me while I was working on Sweet Bitter because I kept coming back to what is the gastronomical me? What is my life told through meals? Um, Which isn't exactly Tess's story, but when I needed to come back to the food, that's what I was thinking about. The thing about MFK Fisher is that the food writing is never um, auxiliary. It's never like detail. It's never filler. It's never a character tick. It's always essential to the transformation that Mm. is happening. Mm. And so with Sweet Bitter, there are pages and pages. And Christopher, I'm sure saw many of them of food writing scenes where I was like, yeah, I'm on fire. These adjectives are just (laughs) flowing. And they weren't essential. Mm. And so what I kind of um, honed it down to was, you know, a, a major food scene and it had to take her somewhere it had to give her an epiphany um now the same is true about the the more erotic sexually charged scenes although i will say that i wanted like i did want this to be a sexual book as far as it's a huge part of her becoming Mm -hmm. it's a huge part of her figuring out how to become a woman and when i said that she starts talking back about britney spears she also starts learning how to accept that she's a sexual being and not apologize for that as well Mm -hmm. um baby steps obviously she's 22 she's 23 when the book ends she's not she hasn't fixed herself but she is gaining some Mm self-awareness um but when writing about sex, it had to be essential to her story. And you come up to this point, I think every writer that has ever written a sex scene, where you have to make big decisions because those scenes attract so much attention. So you've got the fade to black, you've got the, <laughs> the hinting, then you've got the, what are the words I'm actually going to put on the page yeah. to yeah. refer to this body part and this body part? And so there were, I went back and forth about that, what kind of language I was going to use and how far I was going to go with it. Because I do think that there's so much space for like literary erotic writing. There's that has not been fully explored yet. Mm -hmm. Um, But it had to be true to Tess. And I feel, I didn't feel like she was at a point in her life, like how I'm not going to dirty talk on your show but where she was gonna say like cock or cunt or anything like she wasn't there yet yeah so while i might have been ready as a writer she wasn't Mm. so that and that was the same with the food it had to be true to her voice and the story i wanted to talk about mfk fisher and i saw you've mentioned her when you were talking about I think it was in the Wall Street Journal. You were talking that you uh, collect vintage cookbooks. I sure do. I sure do. <laughs> and I was curious, um, 
you know, if you have any notable ones or something. Yeah, I, I do. Well, A Country Kitchen by Della Lutz is really hard to find. And Bonnie Slotnick found it for me for one of my birthdays. And then she also found me a signed Physiology of Taste by Briat Savarin, <laughs> but signed by MFK Fisher, who translated it. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like in it was MFK Fisher, Glendale, like 1981 or something. I couldn't wow. believe it, but I had to give it as a gift to my best friend because I'm a great friend. So <laughs> um, but when we did that Wall Street Journal thing, I stole it back from her. I was like, <laughs> nice I'm so sorry. This is like a real book. I need this to be in the photo. <laughs> you can have it back when I'm done. Um, Patience Gray. If you guys ever see the book Honey from a Weed, it's a really special book. It's um, She's a writer and she's living with a sculptor in various places in the Mediterranean. And it's almost like an anthropological investigation of like ancient cooking methods along the Mediterranean and it's so beautiful. Mm. That sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. It's really wonderful to talk to authors, not only about their book, but then about a book that they brought to us. You brought today Maggie Nelson's Bluets. Bluets. Blaze. Who, yeah. who knows? She said that she, she says said it, it wrong. Yeah. There are several moments. Um, but one thing that I really love is reading the two books in tandem because it, to my mind, it illustrates connections that you might have missed otherwise, but that sort of like elevate both books in a mm-hmm. cool way. Um, I wrote, I was writing on a fucking bookmark for some reason. I don't, I do not write in books, but usually I write in like a notebook, but for whatever reason. Why don't you write in books? Oh, because I don't, I don't know. I just like having them. Scary to so It is scary. Nice. I love it. Because then also like you can go back and you can be. Yeah, you can just be blank. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think there is something to that. I, I know that I've some people like to have that, that thought of like, oh, where was I? What did I think about when right. I saw this the first time? People do like that feeling, but it's also nice to just like, okay, that me doesn't exist anymore. It's this me reading But there it. were two moments as I was reading uh, Bluettes that made me think about Sweet Bitter. And I was like, oh, this is going to be so fun to yeah. like connect these two things. One of them is um, uh, Proposition 116 on, on page 46 for those following along in their hymnals. Um, <laughs> where uh, her former lover is like, I'm in love with both of you talking about the two women who he's been involved with in completely different ways. It seemed unwise to contemplate this statement any further. And I thought of Jake at that moment, but the moment where I was like, Oh, Hey, check this out is number two eleven, which is on page mm-hmm. 86. Look for yourself and ask not what has been real and what has been false, but what has been bitter and what has been sweet. Mm-hmm. At which moment I also was like, sweet, bitter, bittersweet <laughs> oh yeah it took me which i'm embarrassed to admit to wait me, yeah yeah took me a little bit to realize how nice that is the bittersweet sweet bitter i'm glad because so many people write it to congratulate me on my book bittersweet and i'm like oh it's close enough <laughs> <laughs> um, so since you're talking about that it's funny because sweet bitter comes from ann carson's translation of sappho and sappho is the first person to call love bittersweet i mean we don't know but she is presumed to be the first person and ann carson's the first one that said actually the greek order 
is sweet and then bitter. Mm-hmm. And that's also the order of love. And oh. so, you know, Ann Carson is a fucking genius and we're <laughs> all indebted to her all the time. Um, but then, of course, I can't remember when exactly in my process I was reading that book. But now every time I see something like that, the sweet and the bitter, um, I'm very drawn to it and I mark it down. Um, this book felt kindred to me for so many reasons. But speaking about Jake, uh-huh. I was just reading this part <laughs> is to be in love with blue then to be in love with a disturbance or is love itself the disturbance and what kind of madness is it anyway to be in love with something constitutionally incapable of loving you back huh. <laughs> and so i was just rereading it this morning getting ready to come on the show and i was like misery um let's uh let's backtrack just for a little bit and yeah. say what Bluettes is for those oh. at home who don't know. Of course. Um, Maggie Nelson's Bluettes uh, is, uh, well, it's a meditation on the color blue, if you believe her. Um, came out <laughs> If it came out in 2009. And, uh, and tell us a, a little bit why you decided this was the one you wanted to talk about. Well, just actually listening to you try to say what it is is part of the reason that it's such an important book to me because it really resists categorization. Totally. I think I picked it up originally thinking that it was poetry. And then it It, was like... It looks like poetry, too. Yeah. And I would actually say that, I mean, a case can be made that her... The, the the numbered passages are all little poems that can, that can all be taken out and just be held up. Yeah. The, yeah, they're very imagistic. They're very tight. They're very self-contained, each mm-hmm. little number that she goes through. But then it's been called an essay since then. Um, I saw somebody call it lyric essays. Yeah, yeah. essay slash literature, if you want to believe the publisher. Exactly. <laughs> Don't ever believe the publisher. <laughs> um, and I... I'm really interested in books that are trying to explore the spaces between the genres. I really love Rachel Cusk. I love Ben Lerner. I love Renata mm. Adler. I love Elizabeth Hardwick. I'm always, and that's what we would call like, everyone's calling it auto fiction now. I guess Canal's Guard. We mm-hmm. will safely put him in that category as yeah, well. Um, and so when I read this, I think, this is a novel. This isn't an essay. This isn't a book of poems. This is a story. Mm-hmm. Um, but the form is so different and allows so much interpretation. And the other reason I picked it is because Christopher wrote an essay many years ago that I read. And I believe the form was modeled after Yeah, I, I even explicitly mentioned that I'm reading Bluettes in the midst of that essay. Huh which we can link on the thing. Yes, I, I would like to read that essay. Yeah, um, it was great. And so I knew that he knew Maggie, and I was like, it's time. Maggie has come for us. <laughs> it's funny that you, you said open your hymnals as kind of a joke, but I do believe that this book is sort of religious and definitely religiously inspired, especially with the numbered passages. You can be like, you can really be like page 74 you know, yeah. almost like a book of Matthew, and then the. Especially, it speaks the, to me as a very non-religious person, as the sort of thing that like happily takes the place of religion. Of mm-hmm. like, oh yes, in times of trouble, I can go to Bluettes and like find a lovely passage. So, I, sorry. no, go ahead. I just don't see how you can read this book as a writer 
and not want to at least try to play with this form. Absolutely. Um, I feel like everybody probably has their, you know, Jenny Awful, I'm sure. Had, totally. Had a oh, my God. Like, Please yeah. let's put her in that category. I loved that uh, Department of Speculation. I loved that book so much. Um, and one thing that the form is really good at is like it also kind of makes her set up almost like set up and joke with like what's coming up um, next. I think there's like on page 62, there's this why is the sky blue? Um, oh, one fifty six, yeah. where she's like, "Why is the sky blue?" A fair enough question, and one I have learned the answer to many times. Yet every time I try to explain it to someone or remember it to myself, it eludes me. And there's a little more there. But then the next thing is on one fifty seven, the part I do remember, <laughs> which I think is really funny. Just like, like you immediately just start. I don't know. I I think that like the levity here is so welcome. Do you know? I was thinking something similar. I didn't think of it as levity, but I was thinking about this suppose that the entire book begins on. Suppose, what is it? Suppose I were to begin by saying that I had fallen in love with a color and how she gets so much leeway there as if it's not quite written yet, as if this is a first draft, as if you're her friend that she's confiding in and she'll get to backtrack and all she's doing is trying to rewrite a true statement in a way. Mm -hmm. She's trying to get to the truth of the color blue, presumably. Every single numbered passage is an attempt at that, um, but it's very playful. Mm -hmm. Suppose. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that there's that, that confessional is so great here. And when she won me over, like, I just believe her emotion and like, and not, none of this feels like artifice anymore. Cause it could feel, cause it like all we're talking about, there's so many, like, I don't know, pretentious things that she's doing, Absolutely. but, but then, uh, right at the very beginning on page six, uh, number 14, she starts saying, I have enjoyed telling people that I am writing a book about blue without actually doing it. Delicious. <laughs> yeah. So fun. <laughs> yeah. That's as I, uh, I know how fun it is to talk about something that you haven't written yet because there's all sorts of things that you can say, even if they aren't real. Is that the same passage? There's a passage where she's applying for grants and she's applying. I need to find it. It's so funny. She's applying with this like necessary work about the color blue um, <laughs> that she just has to write. And you know that she's not writing it. I'll find it eventually. It was so good. Um, but I would one thing I would say about bluettes and um, and especially Maggie Nelson's writing in general is she's intellect. She can do this intellectually filthy thing mm -hmm. where she like, well, the way that she talks about sex in this book and in other places, first of all, she always refers to it as fucking delicious. The um, best. I think that's the first time you've cursed on the show. It is. I'm so thrilled. <laughs> Thank you, Maggie. <laughs> Sorry, Christopher's mom. Yeah, it's all right. It's all right. She, she can deal. <laughs> But it's just, it, and I, the way that she does it, though, the way that she talks about sex, it's like, it's something that she, like, seems to regret or something. There's, like, there's so much regret in the way that she talks about it, I feel. Well, especially in Bluettes, and I think a little bit less so in the Argonauts, um, mm -hmm. the sex is so painful emotionally for her to recall, that, and it feels like a punishment mm -hmm. that she's kind of, like hurting herself by t retelling it over and over again. But that's something I'm really drawn to as well. Um, she, it's aggressive and it comes out of nowhere. And I think that that is the moment that I started to trust her because she is so intellectual and a lot of this is so abstract. And there are a lot of writers that are really great curators of a million sources. Mm -hmm. um, 
but it's Heidi that, Julevitz is great at that too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But and and Heidi does this so well also without being as graphic, but it's to get to that bleeding heart center of it. You have to have some sincerity coming through. Otherwise the book's not going to con- connect ever. Um, Christopher and I had to read something uh, for the tournament of books earlier this year called Ban and Ban Liu mm-hmm. by Banu Kapil, which is like another, it's classified as poetry, but like she calls it an anti-novel and it, I don't know that it was as successful at this thing, but it sort of, it talks around the shape of an object and as such reveals the shape. Mm-hmm. And I felt like Maggie is doing a similar thing here where she's, per- she's like, I'm talking about blue. I'm talking about blue. And in so doing revealing herself more than she would have, I think if she had written sort of the story of like the dissolution of this relationship that she was in. Right. And I, 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 I feel silly admitting this, but the first time that I went through this book, I, I knew that it was somewhat about a relationship, and but I, I believed her faint towards Blue far more the first time that I read it. I didn't huh. buy it. And That's... this time, I'm like, Christopher, old Christopher, you're dumb. Like this, <laughs> <laughs> this is so someone trying to distract themselves from their broken heart. It has this like through line of this kind of heartbreak love song that is in the best way sincere i already mentioned but sentimental as well and like i need that with writing Mm -hmm. um and i obviously bad sentimental writing is bad sentimental writing but smart writing that still gets gets your blood flowing is my favorite um like loneliness is solitude with a problem i love that oh yes yeah i I mean that's that's actually a great you know, point towards your book as well of her loneliness and her solitude. She's often alone um, when she's away from the restaurant, especially. Um, and that is the, I think that those are the times that she's like, I don't know, she's often getting stronger in those moments. Like she, to- you, you, totally you keep wanting agree. her to be like, get away from the restaurant for just another day, please. <laughs> and maybe that <laughs> is true of myself as well. I feel like the time that I've spent alone in my life has enriched me or given me enough strength to go back into the fire, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But the loneliness just implies this absence. It, whereas solitude is self-contained, right? Yeah. You are not searching. You are not longing. And you were talking about writing the shape of an outline. I mean, this book, even before she starts to explicitly talk about the failed love affair, it's haunted by an absence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, even though, I mean, the love affair rears its head very early on and then disappears. Yeah. I, I love that. Yeah. I do too. Um, and I love the the story about her friend, which seems to be like the real intellectual trauma that she mm-hmm. is grappling with the entire time is how did this happen to this woman? That and she's also trying I think there's a bit of where she's like feeling such intense heartbreak. And then there's this person who has become a quadriplegic and she's just like Okay, so my pain yeah, she's <laughs> doesn't rate, but like at the same time, you know, it, do- it does, right? Because I'm feeling it. There, th- her awareness of her kind of narcissism or the, mm-hmm. the navel gazing that we associate with confessional writing, um, her honesty about it saves her from falling into the cliches of it. And I love at the end where she says, I'm going to butcher it if I don't read it. I 
love that. I want you to know if you ever read this, there was a time when I would have rather had you by my side than any of these words. I would rather have had you by my side than all the blue in the world. And that is when she exposes the fact that this blue was just a conceit Mm -hmm. to get at this heartbreak. And I love that moment. It gives, I, I'm just reading it. I get the chills. I want to cry. Um, she's stripped away all the artifice that she's been weaving for so long. And isn't it that what all of us do? I'm fine. I'm going to yoga. I'm taking classes. I'm really good with my girlfriends. But like, actually, I just want you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very real. Sorry. No, no. I'm, sweat, I'm sweating. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of feel breakups like are hard. <laughs> <laughs> they are. They are. But she's so good. Yeah. You Maggie can, Nelson. Yes. Read Bluettes. What a presence. Shall we shall we recommend some other things? Oh yeah, let's talk about other oh, stuff yeah. we like. Let's talk about the My things God, we like. My God, what do you guys like? Um, we're going to start with Drew. I want to end on you, Stephanie. Okay, I great. Like I just want to give you the blankest slate. Fantastic. Thank you. Um, I'm going to recommend one thing that's a book and one thing that's not. Cool. Uh, the book is the latest in my devouring of all of the currently translated novels of Cesar Ira. Mm. Mm. Uh, Shantytown, which is so far been the most straightforward narratively. It feels much more like a crime novel. It's set in Buenos Aires, um, on the edge of a shanty town, and like a crooked cop is trying to shut down a drug ring, while this like kind of well-meaning, simple, very strong young man has sort of like accidentally broken the whole thing open, mm-hmm. and it has all of the like intellectual weirdness that I have come to really enjoy of his book so far, but with also like pretty straightforward plot, mm-hmm. which you need sometimes. It's fun um, as a reader and a writer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the non the non book thing, um, it's two plays actually because you've missed the first one. Uh, Richard Nelson, who's a playwright who's working at the Public Theater, is doing a series this year called The Gabriels, a year, um, a year uh, election year in the life of one family is the subtitle, which is like a really awkward, uncomfortable subtitle. <laughs> but the upcoming two plays, one that'll be going in August September and one uh, that will lead up to and open on election night. What did you expect? Jesus. (laughs) Yeah, and women of a certain age. Oh, that's the cool thing, too. They open, they're set when they open. So, like, in real time, on election night, 8 to 10 p.m. Wow. Um, But he's he's been really interested in food, and so over the course of the play, uh, a family prepares and eats a whole meal. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the most delicious smelling play. The first one that I saw, I was they like roasted a chicken and baked a pie. Ooh, over the course of the play, and I was like, "This is, this is amazing." I could just sit in this room for a couple of hours. People right. are gonna be starving. Yeah. They're gonna want their. They're gonna leave. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny, uh, Christopher. Um, I'm gonna recommend a book called uh, "Luckiest Girl Alive." by Jessica Knoll. Um, she wrote this incredibly powerful essay uh, for Lenny Letter um, about... So one of the linchpins of this novel is the the main character, Girl, was gang raped in high school. And uh, she wrote an essay about how that is true to her life. Um, wow. And then you read the book, and it's an incredibly powerful book. 
that actually has a completely different twist that has nothing to do with you know horrible high high school experience and has much more to do with something just absolutely horrifying um so i would recommend this book it's it's not anything like gone girl so i don't know why it's i just that's you know i know it's i got know girl that, in the title it's I, a thriller yeah i feel like you know it's it's just like how everything was like harry potter for a while mm-hmm. uh, now everything is like gone girl and that's fine in my world, everything is like Kitchen Confidential. It just oh, gets yeah. very, it gets very small. Yeah, it <laughs> does. Stephanie, do you want to recommend some things? This is so fun. <laughs> <laughs> I have three things. They're all different. Um, so, ladies and gentlemen, it is spring, and I'm going to recommend that you drink, in addition to Christopher's cocktail, um, rosé. Mm. which I uh, drink year-round, but everyone else seems to want to wait until Memorial Day and make it a seasonal summer thing, so that's fine. It is Memorial Day. Um, And I'm really partial to Rosés from Bandol, which is like a teeny tiny Appalachian in southern France, really close to the ocean, and they... Everything is like a small quantity. We don't see that many bottles of it, but if you see it, they're incredibly rich, versatile food wines. They go with everything. They're not like roof deck rosés. You can just buy the cheapest one. I do that all the time. (laughs) But um, for a meal, a rosé from Bandol. And then um, I'm going to recommend for a book, I'm loving the collection Rome by Dorothy Lasky. Um, Who put it out? I can't remember who put it out. Like... Scribner or someone but it's an incredible collection speaking of like heartbreak poems um all set in Rome and kind of using um the mythology of the she-wolf but they are so vulnerable and so lacerating and very angry but the emotion never takes over formally they're perfect um the collection Rome which and then I went to Three Lives Bookstore in the city and they were like, yeah, it's been flying off the shelves. So I felt validated. Sometimes I'm just like in a hole and I don't know what, <laughs> if it's actually good what I like. Um, the people at Three Lives said it was good. Um, and lastly, I just got back from Mexico City and everyone should go to Mexico City as Ooh. soon as possible and just eat. And it's safe-ish, safe enough for you people Um, (laughs) and incredible mid-century architecture and it is just throbbing it is alive um i'm going back as soon as possible cool wow all right those are some good recommendations if there's summer planned yeah i tried apparently i'm gonna drink rosé in mexico city no uh, (laughs) no no no. drink just drink the mezcal (laughs) (laughs) um yeah wow uh, and thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank this you. was so lovely. Thank you for the book. Yeah, it's thank amazing. You. Yeah. Oh yeah, that and people yeah. need to go go thank pick you. that up. Yeah, it's time. Thank you guys so much. <laughs> <laughs>